Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wrestling right now here in August 2021 is awesome. I don't even care, man. You want to come in here and get all mad? You can get all mad, but AEW is kicking ass and WWE is kicking ass. I mean, SummerSlam was a little bit crazy, but we shall talk about it. But all of it makes me feel excited deep down in my tum-tum, and that's all I ever need. Before we do get going to a quick shout out to Tops who are sponsoring this video and also if you don't know are the kings and queens of WWE trading cards, look how many I have. And if you are any kind of wrestling fan, you know that WWE trading cards rock, including the latest Summer of Cena set, which you can get right now on Tops.com. Each of these 15 boxes has 15 John Cena cards, as well as including a bunch of his historical moments and includes a number parallel card. If you're not saying Simon what's a number parallel card, you just need to know it's awesome. Well, no, you do need the info but basically it's a very rare variation of a card and some of them are actually numbered one of one which means there's only one of them in the entire world and I don't need to tell you that would be worth a pretty penny. So thanks once again to Top and we here at What Culture Wrestling will be giving away some prizes on our videos and streams so keep an eye out for that. We salute to tops. And with that too, my name is Simon Miller. Welcome to What Culture Wrestling. And it is ups and downs for the hottest event of the summer. But did it burn our faces or did it make us all cold deep down in our tootsie toes? I don't know what that means. Let's up those downs. RK-Bro versus AJ Styles and Omos for the Raw Tag Team Champions was first up on our SummerSlam card. And I just want to say, how awesome did all of this look? We were in a big outside stadium. There were thousands and thousands of fans. It's almost like that 18-month period where there was nobody around. It's finally but a memory. But let's all be careful because it could come back. So in short, it just felt like a big event which I needed in my life right now. And I mean this purely in an observatory way when it come down to the match itself. It was basically a WWE tag team match by the numbers. Because Briddle got beaten up for a while, our Professor Layton puzzle was, well, how is he going to make the hot tag to Randy Orton? And in the meantime, Omos was in there, and he was just throwing Riddle around the place. And I always see, especially on social media, people going, I don't like Omos, he's really boring. Well, I like him. I don't know why. He doesn't do much, but there's just something about the chap. I'd like to meet him and shake his hand and go, oh my God, he's so tall. We also found a way to stop him here, which was to sneak behind him and push him into the ring post. And as soon as we had done that, Randy Orton hit the RKO onto AJ Styles. One, two, three. RK bro are the tag team champions. And this has just been a nice long-term storyline with the satisfying finish that we all craved. It also made me laugh because, of course, AJ Styles took the pin here. And we may actually live in a universe where Omos never loses because we know how Vince McMahon feels about big people. But also, AJ throughout this whole thing was just tremendous. Somehow he's like wine. He gets better with age. So I suppose somebody better find him one day and drink him 
we have started off very, very strange. All of this really was nice and simple, though, and thank goodness RK-Bro are the tag team champions. And now we just have to hope the WWE doesn't get two weeks in and pulls the trigger on the Randy Orton Hill turn too early. Next up was Eva Marie versus Alexa Bliss. Now, I want to make this very clear. If you step in between those ring ropes, I have respect for you because wrestling is really, really hard. Also, I have to be honest with myself and with you. This stuff really is not for me. Down. Lily was actually used as a weapon at one point because Eva Marie grabbed the doll and just started slapping Alexa Bliss around the face. But for some reason, Eva Marie didn't burst into flames. So Alexa went Wah! right into Eva Marie's face and then eventually DDT'd her after Eva had been arguing with the referee. And that was that one, two, three. And I kind of watched the whole thing like this. I just don't care about a doll which was meant to be in jeopardy during this match because, again, I know it's just a doll. I don't think it's alive. And I guess we had a kind of nice finish because afterwards Dewdrop got the microphone and said, and the loser of the match, Eva Marie. But I understand why these two were friends to begin with. And if the drop was able to separate herself from Eva Marie that easily, why the hell did she hang around when Eva Marie was just slapping her right in the face? And we're never going to get the answers to any of this. So I'm going to take the memories. I'm going to throw them out of my brain. And I'm going to lock them in a safe. No, I'm not taking them out of safe. I'm throwing them in the bin because all of this has been ridiculous. And then AC Slater was here. I mean, what was going on? Of course, his real name is Mario Lopez. And he wanted to let us know he was a super duper wrestler fan because he was wearing a retro t-shirt and he did a quick interview with RK Bro and they're like man we're so happy with the tag team champions and once again Randy Orton Real's chemistry is just great. More importantly than all of this though is that I need to know how he has defied the aging process and still looks like he just walked off the set of Saved by the Bell. Also Riddle promised us tomorrow night on Raw he's gonna have a surprise for Randy Orton and I tell you right now that is not going to go well. And then WWE did something right. Or I suppose they did something right for the second time of this evening because it can happen. It was Damian Priest versus Sheamus. And Damian Priest became the brand new United States champion. Up. I do feel a little bit sorry for the Irishman because he was given nothing in terms of a feud coming out of WrestleMania as the champ. But what a company guy this is. He just does whatever he is told to the best of his ability. And I tell you, once Sheamus is gone, we are going to miss him and realize he was massively underrated. I was terrified almost instantly during this because Damian Priest did this flip dive over the top rope to the floor where he just landed right on his back. And from nowhere, I said, oh, he's killed his back. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how you can kill your back. But if there is potential to do that in your life, Damien Priest just did it. And if he's not injured, thank Flubbins for that, it looked awful. It was also absolutely brutal, which does kind of sum up this match. These two guys were like, well, if we just punch each other in the face a lot, I'm sure the fans will get into it. That's a lovely little game you can play at home. How hard can you hit your friend and still be friends? Don't do that. Absolutely do not do that at home. Sheamus was also using his mask as a headbutt weapon as always, but Damien kind of shrugged that off and hit this cool choke slam sit-out thing magic for a near fall. But then he went for a spring forward and Sheamus just cut him off and he got a near fall too. I enjoyed this match, Lee. And it was just an easy finish, too, because Priest was like, well, if I do take that mask off, it's going to make things a lot better for me. James was like, no, fella, don't take the mask off my face before sundown because I turn into dust. But Damien Priest didn't care about that. He hit the reckoning. One, two, three. And I was just pleased about this because this is exactly what we should have done. And now, for goodness sake, give him a push to the moon. Ha! Huh, was the noise I made next. Because it was Rey Mysterio versus the Usos for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. And by the time the referee went three... I did indeed go 
Ah. We started with dies because WWE, although thankfully this time nobody tried to kill themselves, and you already know the deal. Dominic Mysterio was doing well in the early going, but he's only a 12-year-old child, so he's inexperienced, and eventually got cut off and the Uso started to punch him in the face. Finally got the hot tag to Daddy, who is just so ridiculously good. Much like Sheamus, we need to pour more praise onto Rey Mysterio because he never drops the ball at all. And by the time Dom got back in there, once again, yes, the Usos took advantage of him for all the reasons we've just mentioned. And then it just ended, huh, because Dominic got drop kicked off the apron. Even though it looked like Rey was going to win after he did the splash, Jimmy got his knees up, got Jay in there, they hit super kicks, Jay hit his splash, the referee hit the three count, and just to double down on the message I'm trying to get across to you, huh. I think the idea may have been that the one time Dominic didn't help his father because he was dead, they did lose, but this honestly was kind of like all the matches we've seen building up to this, and maybe that's the problem. We overdid on television, so by the time we got to the pay-per-view, there was really nothing else to give. And once more, it wasn't a bad match, it was a perfectly fine, enjoyable WWE wrestling match, so we do give it an up, I'm not going to make the noise again because I think I've already ran it into the ground, but it was kind of just there. The good thing is that the Usos are still champions, which means when they got backstage, Roman Reigns wasn't there with his harpoon gun to kill them, and I like to know that they're doing all right. Quick interview with Damian Priest, who was really, really happy and good for him. I like it when people are happy. When WWE just went really weird. Somebody, when they're writing the script, went, okay, and after that, Rick Boogs, you go to the ring, you play Shinsuke Nakamura to the ring, you're going to have a dance, and then you'll leave. Which is exactly what happened. I kind of felt like somebody had slipped me some kind of drugs and I was having a fever dream. I do believe it was done to kind of lure the fans into a false sense of security though, because we were about to go on an absolutely roller coaster ride of a journey. So if I were you, I would sit you down, I would get your bum in a nice position and let's go. Because as that's been hinted at all week, no, Sasha Banks was not available to wrestle SummerSlam. And I'm going to put it down to health reasons, although I don't know. And if that is the case, I really do hope she's okay. Now, I do have to say, if WWE did know this, you really shouldn't be advertising her right up to the second she can't do it. Because there's going to be at least one person out there that dropped their money in order to see Sasha Banks and you shouldn't be well going out there to disappoint people. It got really bad at first because we were told instead we're going to do Bianca Belair versus Carmella and you could hear audible groans in the crowd because once again we've just seen that too much and also where the hell was the logic Carmella has tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed. But then from nowhere almost literally Becky Lynch's music hit and out came the man to a thunderous reception and a thunderous ovation. And of course this rock, of course it was brilliant, of course it's something we've all been waiting for. She is a super duper Rupert star and it was tremendous to see her back. So it gets an up and it would have got more, however. We all of a sudden jumped into Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair for the SmackDown Women's Championship even though they could have just had a stare down and that would have been enough. But I was like, okay, cool, well, it's a great match. And hey, yeah, why don't we just get on with things? One day we may all be dead. Let's not wait around. But then in 28 seconds or 25 seconds or a really short period of time, Becky just hit the manhandle slam and she pinned Bianca for the one, two, three. And I started slapping myself in the head like, oh, Simon, you silly goose. You fall asleep, wake up, rewind it and watch it properly. So I did and the same thing happened again, it was real. And it got a great reaction because of course it did. It made you go, oh my gosh, but this is so short-sighted. And I do have this feeling down in my tum-tum that WWE may have only done this because Sasha Banks wasn't able to make the show, so they hot shot at an angle. And you should never hot shot an angle, just go watch the movie Hot Shots.
That didn't work. That didn't even make sense. And so, look, I do get it. Yeah, super have a fun times. Becky Lynch came back and won the championship. But Bianca Belair has been a great babyface. Bianca Belair has won one of the true highlights of 2021. And Bianca Belair has the potential to become a star on the level as Becky Lynch. So why wouldn't you build this up? Why on earth would you bring somebody back and put them on the deserved pedestal, but take the other person and just chuck them right down to square one? That doesn't help, and it certainly doesn't help going forward. It doesn't help your future. And that's why I have no choice. My back is against the fictional wall, and it's got to get a down. Whoever thought we'd be giving a down to a situation like this, wonders never cease. So you can go and debate it in the comments, but I just feel like this was an open slate for creativity, and we went and Kofi Kingston's Bianca Belair. That was just stupid. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Tamara Mentor Stock and Gable Stevenson then came out to say, oh, hello, we're United States Olympic athletes and we won gold medals. And these two have mentioned they do want to go into WWE or pro wrestling. So this was a great way to try and court them. And I'm sure they'll both do great. But there is something about Tamara. She is just like a ball of positivity. And the smile on her face was great. Sign her, make her the champ. Drew McIntyre versus Jinder Mahal followed. We should have known. It was all over the place straight away because Byron Saxton on commentary went, well, Vera and Shanky are at ringside because Jinder Mahal wanted to prove he could do it by himself before Corey Graves went, no, they're not. That's part of the stipulation, you absolute goof. And even if it wasn't, why would we try and say how great Jinder is? He's meant to be the villain. After that, though, this was nothing. I think it went four minutes. Jinder Mahal just got beaten up. Drew McIntyre then did a bunch of suplexes. Hit him with the Claymore kick. One, two, three. And I was stunned. Oh, so we did all of that build with the motorbike and the sword. It just ended. I was like, that was a little bit of a waste of my time down. It also didn't do much for Drew McIntyre, who, lest we forget, was a champion for almost a year back in 2020. And this one was just a hit and a miss. The funniest bit, though, is that afterwards, Drew McIntyre got his sword and he started swinging it wildly. What was he hoping was going to happen here? Like it would catch Jinder Mahal for... Off goes his head. Well done, Drew. You go to jail. Different story for the triple threat match. I mean, it didn't really do anything that we weren't expecting, but I thought it was very, very good. Up. As you know, it was Charlotte Flair versus Nikki Ash versus Rhea Ripley. And this had been designed just to be like, go, 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 go. Big move, big move, big move. Give everybody a little bit of something. Before, of course, Charlotte Flair applied the figure eight and won. But I wasn't even surprised. I knew it was going to happen. I just expected it. So when it did, I just shrugged my shoulders and went, okay. Rhea German suplexed both of them at one point, which was awesome. And then Nikki Ash threw herself out the ring with a crossbody, which was also cool. And then Charlotte had her moment when she was about to be double suplexed, but she reversed it into a double DDT. Like I say, this was so simply worked out. 
but it did the job. Now the finish was kind of weak, but once again, I kind of think you know that because Nikki Ash went for another crossbody in the ring, but it was one of the lamest I've ever seen. Charlotte Baker just sidestepped like that. It was that far, like an inch. It was like, man, Nikki, you did not get your trajectory right at all. And then she applied her submission and you could just smell it in the air. Nikki tapped out. Bada bing, bada boom. And really, I do think what WWE is probably planning, given the Becky Lynch stuff, is that we'll get to Survivor Series. They can't help themselves. They'll do Raw versus SmackDown. And because they want Survivor Series to be one of the biggest ones they've done in ages, you can do Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair. And no matter how many times we do do it, it will always feel like a big deal. So that was all fine. Edge versus Seth Rollins, however, then gave me everything I wanted, everything I needed, and more. They are getting up. Now, clearly, Edge has become re-obsessed with the Attitude Era because he went full on with the brood stuff here and he actually did the brood entrance. But you will not get a complaint from me. If you hit my nostalgia gland that hard, I will be hooping and hollering, especially when you get the brood theme song and the melodic breathing. You know what I'm talking about. <sighs> and all that stuff. And he came out from the floor and there were flames and his, his gear looked like they did back in the late 90s. This absolutely gets a couple of thumbs. As it did back there too, of course, it then transitioned into Edge's normal theme. I mean, why the hell wouldn't you have done that? But who even cares? This was a tremendous entrance. And as for the match, my word, these two are so good at professional wrestling. It also tied directly into the story. Like Seth Rollins has been telling us for the weeks, I should have finished the job in 2014. And that job wasn't helping you with your bathroom or delivering your mail. It was breaking your neck in two. So he took Edge's neck and he was slamming it into the steel steps. He was slamming it into the ring post. If he could slam it into anything or give him, you know, neck breakers, the clue is in the name, he would do it. And he absolutely came off like a psychopath. Edge eventually found a gap when he hit his own neck breaker. Because it's all like anything you can do, I can do better. And this is when they went absolutely crazy to the point I can't recount it all because I'd missed some bits anyway. But what I do know is that Seth Rollins went for the pedigree at one point. And do you know what the Radar Superstar did? He reversed it into a glam slam. Love is in the air. Edge was then spearing Seth Rollins out of the ring because he didn't care about his head anymore. And then when he got him back in the ring, he went for another spear, but Seth Rollins reversed that into a pedigree. And I was just like, this is absolutely crazy. And then Triple H was here and he pinned both of them. That didn't happen either. The finish rocked too, because both guys were jockeying for position with Seth going for the curb stomp and Edge being obsessed with that cross face thing he loves to do. But when he couldn't lock it on Rollins properly, he took his face and he smashed it over and over and over again into the mat because, you know, he's got a dark heart now. And he locked it back on. Seth Rollins had no choice but to tap out. Ooh, the lally, this was good. But it really was great from start to finish. Both guys are just on top of their game right now, which makes no sense when it comes to Edge because he didn't be here at all. If you are only going to watch one match from SummerSlam, this the one. And then... What were we doing? Now, I love the New Day and I love Xavier Woods, especially because he came out here dressed like Scott Hall. That really made me chuckle. But WWE essentially went, I think we should put an episode of Miz TV onto SummerSlam and I don't need Miz TV on Raw. Why do we have to do it every single week down? But yeah, John Morrison and the Miz were here. They were saying the stuff they always said. Then Xavier Woods came out dressed like Scott Hall, like I say, and he sprayed them with the water gun. Nobody made any noise do this. Because everybody was like, I don't understand why would... Let's just move on. Goldberg then won the WWE title. <laughs> no, he didn't. Of course he didn't. But at least one person watching this will have tuned in to get the recap without knowing what happened at SummerSlam. And they would have just gone, oh, no, I can't believe it. Stop. Furiously scratching the keyboard. That was totally worth it. But it was Bill versus Bobby Lashley for that there WWE gold. And as always, we just had to overthink it. 
down. I thought this was such a shame because I assumed the story wrote itself. For the last 20 years, Goldberg has been destroying everyone. So why not now here in 2021, get Bobby Lashley to Goldberg Goldberg? I mean, you could have had Goldberg hit the spear, the jackhammer, but nothing affects Bob until he absolutely whoops his ass and pins him. Then you would have taken all of that power Bill Goldberg has, you would have put it into Bobby Lashley, and maybe even Lashley starts becoming like Brock Lesnar and the level boss. But no, we didn't do that. And instead, Goldberg just whipped Bobby Lashley's ass. I mean, he just kicked him all over the place. And he was going to win the thing after a spear, which would have happened if it wasn't for their meddling kids, or in this case, MVP, who grabbed Bobby Lashley and pulled him out the ring. That's right, he saved him. And Bill still speared Bobby Lashley on the outside, which was kind of cool. But when they got back in the ring, the referee was like, oh my gosh, I'm so discombobulated because I can't handle all of this. MVP hit Goldberg in the back of the leg with his cane. Around about 82 seconds later, Goldberg decided to go, oh, I think that hurt my leg. Well, because it was so bad, Lashley started working it over. I was like, okay, cool. Well, I guess he's going to make Goldberg tap out. Can't remember the last time I saw Goldberg tap out. But we didn't do that either. And instead, the reference, mm, Bill, that leg looks pretty bad. I don't think you're going to be able to stand up on that. So despite the fact I've seen wrestlers go through glass, and despite the fact I've seen wrestlers go through tables, and despite the fact I've seen so much blood pour from a wrestler's head, I thought they were going to die, and I let things continue here, I'm calling the whole thing off. I mean, this was just so short-sighted. Now, after the fact Goldberg was attacked by a chair, cursing on Bobby Lashley, when Gage, his son, jumped on Bobby Lashley's back, and he put him in the hurt lock. And I was just dying inside. It was so funny. And MVP was like, oh, no, he didn't know it was Gage. I was like, okay, maybe not MVP. But he certainly knew it was a child. And he didn't care. Lashley and MVP then left the ring as Goldberg shouted on, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. So I don't think this feud is over. Just between you and me, people of the internet. I really do think this feud needs to be over. It did not work. The main event of the evening was good, though. And if you're now saying to yourself, wait a minute, Simon. You didn't say that with much hoopla. Where's my enthusiasm? Well, I'm just trying to replicate the atmosphere in the building because that last match really did pop our balloon. But it was Roman Reigns taking on John Cena. It felt like a massive deal. They had their plan. They executed it. I thought they smashed it. I had a great old time. Up. In the early goings too, Roman just absolutely whooped John Cena's ass. I mean, so much so, he climbed up the ring steps at one point with his universal belt. I was like, oh man, I'm the head of the table. Somebody bring me some wood. Now, this didn't work because all of a sudden John was like, oh my gosh, I've had an opening. And do you know what he kept trying to do? John Cena, one of the biggest legends of the last 20 years, was like, I'm going to hit you with as many of the most devastating women in all the sports entertainment and surprise roll-ups as I can just to prove how good this move is. I was going absolutely nuts. I have accidentally stumbled across this amazing long-term storyline. If only John Cena had won with one of these, I could have actually pretended that was the case. Sadly, it never worked. Roman was also great throughout all of this, including at one point looking down the camera going, oh, sorry, Hollywood, I'm absolutely beating up your boy. And John Cena's plan B was, well, maybe if I keep hitting him with AAs, eventually he'll go down. So he hit one and Roman Reigns kicked out. He hit another through the announce table and Roman Reigns kicked out. He hit another from the second rope and Roman Reigns kicked out. And that one was great. So we got to see John Cena's I can't believe it face, which was like, as if he's melting. And if the goal here was to make Roman Reigns feel like an absolute monster, well, flub me, we achieved it. This kind of built to the finish too because they decided to just punch each other for a while like it was a boxing match, but that was a terrible idea because of course Roman has a Superman punch. He hit a couple of these. He hit the spear. John Cena went down. One, two, three, still your universal champion. All very well done. And the whole point too was to make you go to yourself, well, who the hell is going to beat Roman Reigns now? 
which is when from nowhere, and I didn't see this coming, and I popped in my own house, which makes me an absolute nerd, we got another return, and this time it was Brock Lesnar looking like some dude from Tekken or the end boss in a JRPG. It is the greatest look he's ever had, and it's all getting it up. They stared each other down for a while before Roman Reigns legged it, because of course he is the villain. And while I know we've seen Roman versus Brock time and time again, the roles are reversed now, which is why I'm so intrigued. Also, we're about to see two big burly men fighting over the affections of Paul Heyman, which is why WWE, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you have to do a Paul Heyman on a pole match. Thank you. This was a really great way to end a somewhat strange SummerSlam though. I mean, the good bits were really good and the bad bits were really, really bad. So I suppose we can place it in the middle. But look, I'm a positive chap, so it's getting it up.